Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. So there's been like four times in a row now where Judd or Dylan said they had something to share. And when they got up and started talking, it was where I had my Bible open to and I was reading during worship. So today when he said Romans 6, I just started laughing. I showed Patty my phone. It was open to Romans 6. It's where I was reading because I was thinking about that line in that song where it says um, that there in the grave your, your broken body began to breathe. And I was thinking how like when Paul says when Christ died, we died with him. But I was thinking about what Paul says when Christ died, we died with him. And, and I think Maybe we just read those things sometimes and we just gloss over them and, oh yeah, when Christ died, we died with Him. And, but He's the hope of the world. Like, He's the spotless Lamb. He's the only one that's capable of actually bringing salvation. He is the Messiah. And so when He dies, our hope dies with Him. Everything dies with Him. But when He begins to breathe, when that dead body begins to breathe, we come alive. And it says that you were baptized into death with Christ, but you were, if He was raised, so then shall we be raised to newness of life in Him. And your life is now hidden in Christ. So just think for one second about this. That Christ who is perfect became sin. He made him who knew no sin to become sin. He became sin. He became it. He didn't act it. I, I, I know we talk about this, but we have to like somehow get our heads around this fact that it's true that he didn't just act sinful so that you could act righteous. He became it so that you could become it. He became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. There's an exchange there where he says, I'll take what you were so that you can become who I am. It's not like a, a it's not that the gospel's not this thing of like, yeah, I, I say a prayer and I now, it, that's the, the worst life that you can live as a Christian who doesn't understand that you can actually be free because now you know everything you were doing is wrong, but there's no way to do, live, live right. That's the most miserable life ever because before you could sin and you didn't even care because you didn't even know. And now all of a sudden, you get born again, you start reading the Bible, and you start reading all these things that you're not supposed to do because you're reading it through a lens of the law, and you're seeing it as, I have to do these things because, and it's not, it's not what the Word is. The Word of God is showing you who you've become, and the way that you live is through Him. And it's not this life of misery where now I'm going to heaven, but the rest of the time I'm here on earth, I'm going to live miserably because I know everything that I'm doing wrong. Why, why do we blame people for not wanting that? Like, hey, you're, you're comfortable living your life the way you're living. Um, would you mind saying a prayer and repeating after me? And then I'm going to teach you all the things you're doing wrong. 
and there's no power to live differently, but at least now you can be miserable every time you do them. What's that? That's the good news. Because that's what gospel means. There's nothing good about that news. The good news is, is that He came and lived the life we couldn't so that in Him we could live a life we were never capable of. It was for freedom that you were set free. You were set free to live free. You weren't set free so that you could one day be free. You were set free so that you could live free. Meaning there is nothing that has a hold on you that is greater than His ability to keep you. His ability to deceive you is so much less than the Father's ability to keep you from deception. But it takes actually believing that it's possible and living our lives laid down for Him. That's why this gospel that we've been entrusted with, Patty and them are doing a Bible study, the women are doing a Bible study now called Entrusted, and it's talking about this gospel that's been entrusted to us. The first obligation we have is to actually live it for ourselves. Because if you're not living in freedom, how can you offer it to somebody else? Because freely you receive, now freely you give. And if the best you have is, hey, you know, we're all sinners, but if you say this prayer, you won't have to pay the price, and you won't have to go to hell. That's the least Jesus ever offered somebody, and it was a thief on a cross who had come to the end of his life, and there was nothing more that he could offer him at that point. It was then that when he died, he would be with him in paradise. That's the least to everybody else. He made this offer of a life in him and freedom. I just want to make sure that we understand that. That you're not sin waiting to happen. That greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. That in this world you'll face trouble, but take heart, for he has overcome the world. That there is nothing, that he is faithful who will not allow us to be tempted beyond that which we can stand, but with every temptation will provide a means of escape, a way out. That means every single time there's a temptation to do something he doesn't want you to do, he provides you a way that you can actually withstand that temptation and walk away. We can never stand before him and say, the devil made me do it. No, the devil offered and you took his offer. But you made you do it. Which means you could have made you not do it by choosing to follow the leading of the Spirit of God. That's the most encouraging thing I know is that I'm, I'm responsible for my sin because that means if it was my fault when I sinned, that means there's something I can do differently by following His Spirit to keep me from walking in the same path. I Grace was never supposed to be given as an excuse to keep living a life that He died for you to be set free from. He thought that sin was worth His blood shed. Like you under, We understand that. Like He hung on a cross and had the life that He carried in His veins drip from Him one drop at a time for your freedom. Why would we ever settle for less? Why would we ever say, well, this is just the way it is. This is just who I am. No, it's not who you are. It's who you were, but you were crucified with Christ and you were buried in death with Him and you were raised again into newness of life. And I promise you, He didn't say, I'm going to recreate you a new creation in Christ, but I'm going to keep some of that junk because I want to keep you humble. 
So many people are running around talking about, well, this is just my thorn. It says, for the surpassing greatness of the knowledge of the revelation I received. How many of us have a revelation that is the new covenant that is so far surpassing every other revelation that's ever been given, and we're settling for a thorn without settling for a revelation? Don't settle for Paul's thorn without contending for his revelation. Um, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's crazy how we'll settle for negative things without contending for the great things. Well, you know, this is just my thorn. Really? Are you sure about that? And are you sure that you understand exactly what Paul's thorn was? What the thing was that followed him everywhere he went? What the thing was that, that the Bible says that we're to withstand by the grace of God when we face? You guys realize there's nowhere in the Bible that it says to endure sickness? Find it. Look, we, we preached a message last week that was probably one of the hardest messages for me to preach because when I'm preaching it, I'm staring into the faces of people and I'm remembering the things that I've prayed for that I haven't seen happen. I'm fully aware of that. I'm not ignoring that stuff. I'm saying that I can't let what I haven't seen or what I have seen change what his word says. And we have to be consistent with that in everything. So, so Peter tells us that there's one thing that we're to rejoice in and actually endure, and that's persecution. Everywhere Paul went, there was a voice of persecution that was raised up against him, and he asked God to deliver him. He asked God to silence that, I would imagine. He asked God to take away from him, and God said, my grace is sufficient for you. Why? Because he kept him humble. Everywhere he went, he had to rely on God because there was a constant persecution that was raised up against him to the point that he was being stoned and left for dead. That's pretty great persecution. I would imagine he prayed and asked God to take that away from him. And I would imagine if the Bible is to be consistent, the only thing the Bible tells us that we're to joyfully endure and that His grace is sufficient for is to endure the persecution that we face for His name's sake. We can't just take a, you know, the end of a letter and a one line and make them match up and go, well, this is it. It has to be consistent with the rest of Scripture. There's nowhere in the Bible that it tells people, is any among you sick? Then he is to pray to God and God will give him the grace to endure it. I'm not saying that God doesn't give you the grace to endure it. I'm just saying that's not a scriptural thing. And we take that and so we say, well, Paul said that he had a thorn in his flesh and it was obviously sickness because in one of his letters he said something about his eyes. I'm not saying Paul didn't have a problem with his eyes at all, ever. I'm saying that, that I don't believe that was the persecution, I mean, the thorn in Paul's flesh. I believe the thorn in his flesh that God said my grace is sufficient for is the same thing that Peter tells us that his grace is sufficient for when we face it and that we're to withstand, and that's persecution for his name's sake. But even taking that out of the equation, the line before it, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation there was given to me, a thorn to my flesh that I wouldn't be exalted. How many of us can honestly stand there and say that we have this amazing, surpassing revelation? 
but yet we're all pretty content to settle in that we have a thorn like Paul whenever there's something in our life. Come on. Don't settle for one without contending for the other. Oh, that went over real well. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Jesus loves you. Because <laughs> sometimes I get too intense, I just got to throw that out there every now and then, okay? He does, and I do too. I love you so much that I don't want to see people settle for less than what he hung on a cross and died for. Because there's an amazing life that's possible in him. Not someday when you die. If that's the case, then death is your savior, not Jesus. If the only way you can be free is by dying, like when you're 90 years old or however old it is when you die, then that means that your Savior is death. But the Bible says it's appointed once for men to die. Once. When? When you understand who Christ is, you see your need for a Savior, you die. The old you dies. The new you is raised to newness of life. You're born again, a new creation in Christ, and that creation will never die. So it was appointed that one time, every single person, it's appointed once for all of humanity to understand their need for a Savior. It's appointed by God that every single person would see Jesus for who He is and that they would die to themselves and become a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's the will of God. And then the judgment. Why the judgment after that death? Why? Because after that death, you stand before Him and you're not judged based on your own deeds. You're judged based on the works and righteousness of Jesus. That's why it comes in that order. If that messes with your theology, let it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I will get to it. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Uh, God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that, that you have a word for us today that you want me to speak. And so um, I, I'm not going to speak that message because I, I, we need to understand this. You guys, listen. No, listen. Because there is so much teaching that goes against what the Word of God actually says. Do you understand that you are holy right now before a righteous God? Yes. That, that not one day when you die, you'll be holy. That the Bible, the Word of God, the very same Word of God that you trust to say that for God so loved the world, He sent His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. The same Bible that says that says, don't you know that you are God's temple and that His temple is holy and that is what you are? Not, that is what you will be one day when you die. It says, and that is what you are. Who's he talking to? He's talking to people who are born again. This is a letter to the church. And he's saying, listen to me. Don't you understand this? Why is he saying that? Because he's seeing behavior in them that doesn't line up with who they are. And so to Paul, there's only one answer. If you're not living the life that Christ died for you to live, you just don't understand who you are. That's the whole point of the Gospel. Is to show you who you are in Christ. Why? Because if you know who you are, then you can live like who you're supposed to live like. So Paul hears about this stuff going on in Corinth. There's slandering and there's, there's gossip and there's, there's all this stuff. And then he says, and there's even sin going on which is not named in the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. 
So Paul's hearing these reports about this church who received the gospel. You guys, listen, when we talk, like when we read Paul's letters to the church, we have to understand it was never in his thinking that the church would live in a lifestyle of sin. So we read things like all things in moderation and people go, oh, really? You just do anything in moderation? Yes, if you're born again, living by the Spirit of God, anything that you're doing, because we're not even talking about sin. Why would that even enter the equation? Oh, so you're telling me I can just steal as long as I do it in moderation? You don't even understand the gospel if you're asking that question. Because Paul was assuming he's talking to people who are born again and are living for one thing, and that's his great name. Not that they're trying to see how much sin they can get away with and still feel like when they die they're going to go to heaven and not go to hell. That wasn't even in his thinking. We get these weird things and we start asking questions and we start talking about, well, what about this and what about that? You have to understand, he's writing these letters to people who are filled with the Spirit of God. And so he hears these things are going on and he has to write this letter. He is compelled to write this letter to them. And he says, I'm hearing about all this going on. And he's saying, don't you understand that you're holy? That's not like him rebuking them. That's him honestly questioning them. If this is going on, there's only one answer. You don't know who you are. I can do anything I want. Your life doesn't even belong to you. You understand, you were bought with a great price. It's not even your life anymore. Your life doesn't even belong to you. It belongs to Him because He paid for it. And so Paul's seeing this stuff going on. I just wonder, like, if, if he was here now, what would the letter that he wrote to the church look like when he hears about all the crap that's going on within the church? And this isn't to beat us up. This is to say, guys, listen. If he thought there was a way that the church of Corinth could live above that stuff, then he certainly thinks there's a way that the church of Greenville can live above that stuff. We put Paul in stained glass because it makes us feel better about the life he lived and we call him a saint, but the truth is he called every one of us saints. And he never said, put me in stained glass. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. But we call him Saint Paul because somehow that puts him on a different level than the rest of us mere mortals. And we make his life something that's a myth or a fairy tale like John Bunyan, Paul Bunyan, whatever his name was. I know the word. I'm not sure about folklore. (laughs) You know, John Henry, Paul Bunyan, you've mixed them up before. (laughs) That's right. But listen, we make Paul like folklore. We read things like that they were taking his handkerchief and sending them to people and they were getting healed and we put that as like, Wow, St. Paul, let's build stained glass and let's name our church after him because then we feel better about the fact. But the truth of the matter is is that same man that we're building stained glass windows about said, follow me as I follow Christ. Be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. He never gave us the option of putting him in stained glass, making him a saint and elevating him above our circumstances or above our ability to live. Guess what? Neither did Jesus. Show me one place in the Bible where Jesus said, you can't live the life that I'm living. You can't, but I can show you many where he says, the same way the Father sent me into the world, so I also send you. The things I do, you'll do, and greater things. Follow me. 
follow me. Follow me. That's what that's what being born again is. It's it's following Jesus. It's actually following him. That means going where he went, doing what he did. And he said, he's talking to them and he, he's telling them that he's going to go and they're sad. And he, he, it, he clicks to them. He's, he's, he's thinking, oh, I, I get it. They're sad because I'm leaving because they've always had me for an example and they feel safe when I'm here and they feel protected and they feel provided for and, and all those things that I want to be for my people, they feel that when I'm with them. And he says, so they're sad because I'm going. And then he says to them, listen to me, I've told you that I'm leaving and you're sad, but it's for your benefit that I go. For if I go, I can send him the Holy Spirit. What's he saying? You guys understand this, that Jesus Christ stood and looked at people and said, it's better that you have the Holy Spirit inside of you than me standing next to you? Is that real? No, I mean, is it real in our lives? Like, would we say that? Would we say it's, you know what? I'm so thankful that I have this Spirit of God living inside of me. And I'm, I, it is so much better to have what I have than to have Jesus physically standing here with me. That's a challenging question. Because if Jesus said it was better, that means it's better. But that doesn't mean that everybody lives in what Jesus said they would. It just meant there was a place that you could live where the Spirit of God living inside of you would be better than having Jesus Christ standing next to you. It also meant it was better for the sake of everybody else because Jesus didn't just come for the 12. He didn't just come for the 150. He didn't just come for the Jews. He came for the world. So if something was better for the disciples, it was also better for everybody. Would the, would the, would, listen, if you gave people a Bible... And they read about this man Jesus. Would they think it's better now having millions of people who profess to follow Jesus filled with His Holy Spirit, would they say it's better now? Or would they say, we would love to have this Jesus? Because if they don't think it's better, it's not because it's not better. It's because we haven't lived a life that displays it. And I'm just challenging myself and us with this, that if He said it, it's true, and our experiences don't change His truth. Because we read that and we go, yeah, I mean, come on though, think about it. Listen, you're telling me that having the Holy Spirit in us is better than having Jesus who could feed 5,000 with a loaf of bread? I'm not telling you that He did. You're telling me that, that it's better for us to have the Holy Spirit in us than have the Jesus that when a storm came, raised His hand, released peace, and calmed the storm? No, He did. I'm just merely pointing it out. It's quiet in here. Listen, this stuff challenges and convicts me all the time. What we can't do is we can't shrink back and settle for a comfortable theology that allows us to, to live a life of comfort and to live a life that's less than the life Jesus modeled and make statements like, well, you know, that was Jesus. Well, Jesus seemed to think you were going to be okay because He said it's better that I go so the Holy Spirit can come to you.
So he comes and he lives a perfect life. He starts perfect. He's not born into sin. He's not born into Adam. It's the sins of the Father that are passed down from generation to generation. Who was Jesus' Father? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come over you and you'll be with child. What's he saying? The Holy Spirit's going to come and father a child within you. So Jesus isn't born into Adam. He's not born into sin. He's actually born perfect. Every one of us is born into sin. Every one of us is born the seed of a man. So we're born into Adam. And before you did the first thing wrong, you were born into sin. That's why you had to be born again. So he starts perfect. And he lives perfect. So he is perfect. And then the perfect one takes on our sin. And the only way for the perfect one to be redeemed is for him to die and be raised to new life. And he started perfect. If anybody could have been fixed, it's Jesus. Because when you fix something, you put it back to how it was. When you repair something, you say, this was good, now it's broken, and I'm going to repair it back to the way that it was. If anybody ever in the history of the world could have been fixed, it was Jesus because He started perfect. But yet, the only fix for Jesus once He became sin was to die and be raised to newness of life. And I'm telling you right now, the only way for you to be fixed is no fix. It's to die and be resurrected to newness of life in Christ. Because you didn't even start out perfect. So you couldn't be fixed. You started out broken. The best you could be repaired to would be broken. But if you die, but if any man be in Christ, he is therefore now a new creation. Behold, all things, all things. Listen to me. You need to hear me this morning. Every single thing passed away, and all things were made new. That's the Gospel. That's the good news. The good news is, you weren't fixable. That's the good news. That's the best news. Because the fact that you weren't fixable meant that you had to become something that never existed. So if any man is in Christ, he's therefore now a new creation. Behold, all things have passed away and everything's become new. You're actually someone that never existed before. You're not a fixed up version of who you are. You're a new creation. Something that never existed before now exists and it's you in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? Because if you believe that, you'll have security in Him. And you'll actually believe that you are who He says that you are and you're capable of living the life He called you to live. If you don't believe that, you'll have insecurity before the Father. And every time you mess up, it will just be a validation of your own insecurities. 
rather than running to him and saying, God, I know you created me for better than this, Father. I know that's not who I am. I know that I was created, God, when I was born again, a new creation. You did not make me to live that way, Father. And I don't want to continue to live less than what your blood says that I'm capable of. You'll run to Him and you'll understand that that's not who you are anymore and that's not how you were created to live. And suddenly your perspective shifts and rather than sitting around looking at everybody else and going, see, nobody else can be perfect either. Nobody else can do this. We make this theology, you guys, and it's just based on our experience and our own lack of actually believing that what He said is true. And so now we have a self-fulfilling prophecy that says, well, nobody can live like that because we don't believe we can, so we don't. And then we stand back and say, see? And when we hear someone talk like I'm talking right now, the first thing that pops in our head is, so you're telling me that you don't ever sin? Why do we even care about that? The point is is that Jesus told us to follow Him and He's the standard, not me. He's the standard. And he seemed to think his life was followable because he asked us to follow him. I don't tell Jackson to follow me and hop in my car and take off down the highway because he can't drive. I say, follow me. I walk through the yard and he's capable of following me. When Jesus said, follow me, he's pointing out that, it's cap- that we're capable of actually following him. Not in our own strength and the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. When He comes, the Spirit of truth, He'll lead you and guide you into all truth. But here's the point. He's only leading and guiding those who are actually looking to Him for leading and guidance. You can't just live your life oblivious to His plan and think that whatever God wants to happen will happen. I can show you so many times in the Word, beginning with Jesus sitting on a hill crying over people and saying, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who stoned the prophets, how I would have loved, how my heart was, how my will, my desire was to gather you under my wings like a mother hen does with her checks, but you wouldn't let me. That's Jesus. God sends a prophet. He comes up to Saul. Zach was talking about David this morning. The prophet comes up to Saul because Saul disobeyed. He takes and he snatches his cloak. He tears a piece of it. And he says, today the Lord would have established you and your family on His throne forever. But because you have done this thing which is wicked and evil in His sight, His anointing has left you and gone to another. What's he saying? This was what God wanted. But you made a decision. And because of that decision, what God wanted isn't going to happen in your life. And now He's moved it to somebody else. That's straight from your Bible. That's not like the theology of Roy. And to live our lives oblivious to the fact that there's a spirit that wants to lead us and guide us and think that every single day I can get up and just live however I want to apart from looking to Him for direction and somehow I'm going to magically end up living the life that He created me to live is a fairy tale. Like Jack and the Beanstalk. I got that one right. That's a fairy tale. You don't end up where he wants you without asking him where he wants you to be. You don't end up living your day the way he wants you to live unless you're asking him how he wants you to live your day. There's no autopilot. There's one autopilot. It's to pull you in the direction of the world. Try it. Don't. But I'm saying, if you have... (laughs) No, listen, everybody knows it's true because if you've ever lived your life 
not looking to him for leading, guiding, and direction, you know where you've ended up, and it wasn't where he wanted you to be. And can he take everything and work it for good, even things that he told us not to do? Absolutely, because he works all things for good to those that love him and are called according to his great name. But that doesn't mean that was what he wanted. It just means that he wants to redeem and restore everything. And if you make a mess of something the minute you turn to him, he has a plan that will work it for good. But that's not what he wanted to begin with because he told you what he wanted to begin with, and it wasn't that. People end up in jail. And they're like, well, see, because they, they get born again in jail, they think, well, God wanted me. No, listen, the Spirit of God was screaming to you to turn long before you did the things. You could open up the Bible and you could see God's will for your life. It was what? Thou shalt not steal. What's His will for my life? Never steal. I can't blame being in jail for stealing on God. No, listen, think how crazy that is. Well, God wanted me here. No, He didn't want you there. That's why He said don't steal. Paul writes this in Romans. That's not just an Old Testament thing. In Romans, he says, do you want to live a life that's free? Then do what is right. Do you not want to have fear of people who are in authority over you? Then do what is right, for they don't bear the sword of God for no reason, but as an avenging angel of Him. As an avenging minister of Him. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, there's a way that you can live peaceably with the authority in your land. Do what's right. Don't break the law. You can't break the law willfully and then blame the consequences of you breaking the law on God. Well, I guess God wanted me here. No, He didn't, but He'll use you where you are. It'd be like the prodigal son looking around at the pigsty and saying, I guess this is where the father wanted me. No, that's where you wanted you. What was the father's heart? Everything I have has always been yours. He displays it when he's talking to the older son. What was the heart of the father? It's always all been yours. There's nothing that I have that's off access to you. All you had to do is come to me and I would have given it to you, but you wanted to go and try to find it on your own and that's where it got you and that was not my will and that's why I didn't come to you in the pigsty. I stayed here in my kingdom where I'm always going to be and when you got to the end of yourself and you turned and remembered what it was like in my house, as soon as you took a step towards me, then I came and met you where you were and listen, don't fall for that thing of, well, God just loves you where you are as an excuse to stay where you are. That's not the case ever. God lived, loved the son where he was, and what did he do? He went to him, he put a robe around him, he put slippers on his feet, and he said, let's go back to where you belong. Why? He loves you where you are, but he wants to take you where he wants you to be. He has no interest in the son living in the pigsty. He didn't go to him in the pigsty. He didn't even go to him. It says that when he came to his senses and looked around and saw where he was living and said, even the servants in my father's house live better than this, I would like to eat the stuff I'm feeding to the pigs. You understand? He is at the lowest of the low points. And the whole time the father is watching because it says while he was a great way off, the father saw him. What does that mean? It means the father was always watching the son. Is that what the father wanted for him? Absolutely not. What's the father's heart? It's clearly displayed the second he turns and actually gives the father his life. He comes to him and he says, Father, I've sinned. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Instantly, the robe goes around him. The ring goes on the finger. The slippers go on the feet. Let's go to my house and let's kill the fatted calf. Let's have a party for this son of mine has returned. What's he saying? He's finally back where I wanted him to be all along. I want to give him the things that I've always wanted to give him. Well, I guess the father wanted him in the pig pen. No, he didn't. 
No, but he'll use the pig pen if that's what it takes. Why, but, but, but there's a better way. There's a better way. I, mean, I talk to some people sometimes and they say, I wish I had a story like yours. I'm glad you don't. Yeah. I don't want my kids to have a story like mine. I want my kids' story to be, I've just always known God ever since I was little. I understood who I was and I never sold myself cheap and I never let myself get to a place where I lost who I was in His sight. And not that I've lived perfectly, but I've always known why I was alive. I've always known that He loved me. I never tried to find my identity in anything other than Him because ever since I was little, that's all that I heard and all that I saw in my parents. I want that to be their testimony. I want them to say that they raised me in the fear and the admonition of the Lord and they taught me who I was at a young age and they taught me that I was made for better than that and that Jesus Christ's blood made a way that I could live above and, and, and so far away from the things of this world because there's nothing in the world for me. And they modeled a life of living in intimacy with Him and I saw the joy that it brought them and I wanted that same joy and I was so provoked to jealousy by what I saw in my parents that I went after Him for myself. That's the story I want them to have. And it's possible. That's not a pipe dream. That's His plan. And it's not too late. I don't care where you've gone. I don't care where you're at right this second. I don't care the things you've done. You know the truth of the matter is? Wherever you are, He knows. <laughs> That's what's so awesome about Him. It's like everything I'm saying is still true no matter where you are. None of you are disqualified from the things I'm telling you about. It's hard for you, and it doesn't matter where you've been or where you are. It's all still so true for you that He has a plan for your life, and He loves you, and He sent His Son to die on a cross for you to redeem you, to make you like Him, and recreate you in the image of His Son, and put His Spirit inside of you, and put you on display for the world to see. He said that nobody lights a, a candle and puts it under a basket. They put it on a stand. He wants your life to be on display because He wants people to see His goodness in your life and be provoked to want what you have. It's always been His plan. And you can jump and shout during worship and doubt every word coming out of your mouth. You can sit there condemned because you know what you did last night and doubt every word coming from my mouth. But He doesn't doubt for one second any one of His truths. And He believes that the minute you come to the end of yourself and you remember who He is and you turn, He will come and overwhelm you and bring you back and set you where He's always desired for you to be. The second. That's the Gospel that we carry. That's what you've been entrusted with. That's what you can give away to every single person that you talk to for the rest of your life. You can teach them about the love of the Father. You can teach them about a, a perfect Savior that died on a cross in their sake and the life that He lived and, the life, and died so that we could have. You can teach them what it is to be filled with the Spirit of God. You can tell them and show them what it is to have the joy of the Lord, even in the worst circumstances. Because you know what? When you're in circumstances that everybody's freaking out and you're not freaking out, everybody notices and then it's easy to tell them why. But let this challenge us. Like, let it provoke us. Live to prove me wrong. Get up every single day and seek after Him so that you can come to me and say, I did that and it didn't work because I promise you it will. Well, right. If you don't believe me, try it. Yeah. 
get up in the morning. Thank you, Father, that I'm alive. Thank you that you raised me up one more day to look like your son. Thank you that you put your spirit inside of me. Thank you, God, that I'm alive for a reason and I don't just go out and let my day happen to me. I go out and happen to my day and I thank you, Father God, that everything I face in this world, you've already overcome and I'm in you so I've overcome it. Start your day that way. And then when the world comes at you and things don't go the way that you want them to or that you think that they should, remind yourself of that truth in the middle of your circumstances and watch what it does. God, I thank you that your word is still true even when people around me are broken. God, it's even more true and it's even more evident and it's even more on display. And God, I thank you that there was a time that that would change the way that I think. But now all I want to do is change the way they think. Because I've got something greater inside of me because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. God, I thank you that that person that would have made my life just a wreck, I now see them with the love that you have, and all I want to do is just show them how loved they are, God, because I understand they just don't know who they are. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It's not just for Jesus. It's not just for Stephen. It's for every single one of us to find ourselves in a place where when people come against us, all we can do is weep for them and have our heart broken, and all we can respond is, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then follow that up with, and Father, help me to show them who you are. Come on, y'all. This is, this is why we're alive. This is the reason that you're alive is for the glory of his great name. You have, we have one chance. I'm almost 40. I'll be 40 in May. I remember being 20. I remember going to second grade. My daughter's 15 years old and starting to drive a car. It just freaks me out. It does. If you see her on the road, you should be a little freaked out right now, too. Because <laughs> she has two things of mine. She has my confidence, but unfortunately, she also has my driving. <laughs> I wish she had my confidence in her mother's driving. But this, no, I mean, listen to me. This life is, it's a vapor. It's a mist. It's so short. What do you care about that you'll care about for eternity? What do you care about today that you'll care about for eternity? Hold the stuff that we take so highly and that we value so highly and that we put ahead of so many things and hold them up to that filter and ask yourself, will I care so deeply about this for eternity? If the answer is yes, then pour your life into it. But if the answer is no, let it go. I'm serious. Like this, these, these things that we think are so important, just hold it up to the light of eternity. I'm not saying you, know, you can't play basketball because you're not going to care about that for eternity. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the things that we obsess over, the things that actually control our lives, those things, hold that up to the light of eternity and ask myself, will I care about this for eternity when I'm standing before him? Will it matter at all? If it does, pour your life into it. But if it doesn't, let it go. We live for one reason. And that's that the world would know His great name. That the world would be saved. That's why we do everything we do. We did outreach yesterday. We got to the church and prayed. Is Evan, are you here? Is Casey here? Casey, you're here? Yeah, come up here real quick, you guys. Come on, Casey. She, <laughs> yeah, she's going to be a little nervous. Or she thought she would be, but she won't be. 
Come on, Evan, come up here real quick. And so, um, so, the, so yesterday we went on outreach and, and just some amazing things happened. But this is the reason we're alive is for stuff like this. So I wanted Casey just to share with you guys real quick and I want Evan to share real quick after that. All right, so we came here yesterday and we were just praying and we were shooting before we left. And they were like, if anything, if you like, feel anything, write it down. Like write down what you're, like what the showing them. Yeah. And I like got an image of a picture, picture <laughs> of a woman and two blonde twin girls with big eyes. And so we were we went out and I didn't really tell anyone was supposed to like, I don't see this. <laughs> and like a couple of times like, is that them? No, and I was like wondering if I like missed, missed it. We were actually leaving, and we were going across the road, and this lady is pushing these two little girls dressed exactly like, with they were, had blonde hair and pigtails, and I was like, oh shoot, <laughs> and I like turned around and I was like, yep, <laughs> so I actually had to like run down the road to like go tell her, but <laughs> it was. I was so nervous that whole day, but like in that moment, like the Lord just, there was so much boldness that I wasn't scared at all. <laughs> and the little girl had a little pink cast on, she broke her leg. And so I was able to pray over her and it was just really cool because never done anything like that. And I feel like it's easy to be like, that's not for me, that's for everyone else. And, but God kind of just showed me that like it really wasn't that hard and it was it was really cool. That's awesome. Thanks, Casey. Hey, I'm Evan. Uh, yeah, yesterday we did outreach, and we were in downtown Greenville, and I saw one of our group members talking to a couple that were sitting on a park bench, and uh, I kind of walked by as I was talking to a, a couple other people who were in our party, and uh, we were just having a conversation, and I really felt the Holy Spirit speak to me uh, that they, that the two people who were sitting there needed to experience God uh, in a way that they hadn't experienced Him before. But I, I, did, I had no idea what the, what the other person was talking to them about. Uh, I knew that she was sowing seeds to them, and so I just kind of waited, and, uh, and she ended up leaving, and they just kind of still sat there, and so I just couldn't get it off my heart, so I walked up to them. And I said, hey, how are you guys doing? And they're like, good. And I said, hey, I know you, that someone was just talking to you, uh, but I really felt on my heart that, you're, that, you, that God wants to have you experience him. I said, have you ever felt the presence of God? And they said, oh, yeah, kind of. Uh, I said, what was that like? And they kind of didn't really know what to say. And I said, okay. I just want you guys to hold out your hands. I said to the wife, I said, I want you to hold out your hands like this. And I'm just going to put my hands over your hands without touching you. And uh, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to touch you, to confirm to you that he loves you, adores you, and even now has a plan for your life going forward. And so I asked the Holy Spirit to touch, touch them and to build even like a tingling or something in their hands. And I didn't feel anything, but I just, by faith, I just asked them, I said, do you feel anything? And she said, yeah, like my fingers are like tingling, like electricity almost. 
And I said, okay, when I touch your hands, it's going to go up your arms. And I touched her hands, and it went up both of her arms, she said. I said, and something stirred up in me that the Lord wanted to, to bring them next to each other in their marriage even closer. I said, now put your hand on his shoulder. It's going to go through your arms into his shoulder and down his, down his arm into his hand. And she said, okay, well, I'm going to reach around. And she reached around and touched his other shoulder. And I said, do you feel that? And he said, yeah, I can feel it going into my arm and down into my hand. And all of a sudden, the Lord uh, showed me that he wanted to reveal to them that, that two have become one and that they're together. Not only have they been married four years up until that point, not only are they married married uh, in the physical, but now two have become one. And whatever she receives, you receive mm -hmm. in the Lord. And whatever you receive, she receives. And uh, the Lord spoke to me that there was pain in his right knee. And so I asked him, I said, hey, and bear in mind, I'm not like 100% confident about like any of this stuff, but I just believe him by faith. And if I get it wrong, I'll just apologize. Um, but um, but I, I said, hey, do you have pain in your, in your right knee? And he kind of looked flabbergasted. He was like, uh, yeah. And he's like, my right, I, my right leg is shorter than my left leg. I said, okay, well... I asked him to sit back, and I said, can I just hold your legs up? And he's like, yeah, okay. Forgot about him for a second. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I held his legs up, and his, and his leg, his right leg was literally one inch shorter than his left leg. And uh, I, I called a couple of my, the, the two people I'd been talking to before over, and I said, have you ever seen a leg grow out before? And, um, and then they were kind of like, what? what are you talking about? And I said, okay, well, I'm just going to ask um, the Holy Spirit to grow your leg out, and, uh, and we're just going to watch a miracle happen. And so uh, I commanded the leg to grow out, and for about five minutes we sat there, and I was just speaking to this foot, in the name of Jesus, I command you, leg grow now. And it, it was just, but no joke, the leg started to grow. And over five minutes, the leg went from an inch shorter slowly to exactly the same length as the other leg. And he sat there because he could see from where he was sitting, he could see. And, and he told me that he had got an injury when he was a child. This guy was at least in his 50s or 60s, probably in his 50s. And he had an injury from, from when he was a child. He's been like that his whole life. And the Lord in an instant healed him. And he was so shocked. He stood up and the wife was so shocked and she asked what church we went to, and we told them. And, that, and by that time, a lot of the other people who were with us in our group came and just started loving on them. It was unbelievable. And I said, hey, man, get up and start walking. And he started walking, and he, you could tell he had a limp. But he, he realized that he didn't have to compensate anymore. And so he was, it was almost like he was trying to learn to walk prop, like straight again. And uh, he was so shocked and so in awe of the Lord's power. And I just said, you know... God loves you so much, and he did this to reveal it to you that he loves you so much. And, uh, and every, everyone around us just blessed them and poured out on them. And um, I think we wrote down some contact information. But God came uh, for those people. He yeah. came for, for us all. And yeah, so. that's awesome. And, and, part of that, and part of that was that they weren't really willing to receive from the person that was talking to them first. And the lady said, this is a lesson to me to not 
push away people when they want to come and talk to you. And um, so, uh, you guys, that's why we're alive. It's to go out and take his name. It's to go out and do the things that he said we would do. And you know, the truth of the matter is like Evan said, so if I'm wrong on this, what do I lose by stepping out and believing that God's told me to do something? What do I really lose? What have I lost? So I look stupid. I look stupid a lot. We've got Snapchat filters that make us look even dumber, and everyone has them on their phone. You don't care about looking stupid. You do it on purpose. You know what I'm talking about? The... Me and Patty just discovered them recently. Oh, my gosh. I just hear her in the room giggling. <laughs> Serious. You, you, you pay to look dumb. So go look dumb for him. Take a risk. Step out. The worst case scenario. You walk away and somebody knows that you cared enough to talk to them. And that you believe that God loves them enough that it actually made you do something rather than just believe something. Father, I thank you for who you are. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we will get this gospel of who we are in Christ so deep inside of us, God, that there would be no insecurity within us, God. That we would truly believe that we are who you say that we are, God. That we would find our identity in you and being loved by you and being your sons, being your daughters. God, that there would be nothing that people could say to us that would ever take away from us. That all people could do is bless us that nobody could curse us. That all people can do is encourage us, that nobody can discourage us because our encouragement is found in You. God, I pray that we would wake up every single day mindful of Your Spirit, mindful of the One that You said would lead us and guide us into all truth. God, wherever we are right now, I just pray, Father God, that we would reject any lie that calls us to live less than the life that You died for us to live, Jesus that we would not waste one drop of the blood that you shed, that we wouldn't allow anything in our lives that you thought was worth dying for. And I thank you for that, God. I thank you for the grace when we miss it. And I thank you for the ability to live the way you've called us to live. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.